From the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago, I'm Gwen Maxi, and this is ReSound. Dear friend, I'm sending you this message concerning a business proposal of 44.5 million U.S. dollars, and I want you to partner with me in this project. First, I must solicit your strictest confidence in this transaction. This is by virtue of its nature as being utterly confidential and top secret. ReSound is a remix of music, documentaries, found sound, sound bites, and idiosyncratic audio we find all over the world. On the air, through the internet, over the transom, we listen to everything we can get our ears on and then bring you the best of what we hear each week on ReSound. I am sure and have confidence of your ability and reliability to prosecute an endeavor of great magnitude involving a pending transaction requiring maximum confidence, which involves the transfer of a huge sum of money to a foreign account. If you've ever received an overly emphatic, excessively polite, all caps email promising to place millions of dollars into your bank account, chances are it came from Nigeria. Now, these scams are easy to spot if you are even remotely savvy, if not by the too-good-to-be-true part, then by the strange urgency of the writing and the overuse of hence and thereby. Hence, we are writing you this letter. Please note that this transaction is 100% safe. I remain respectfully yours. But the gullible still fall for them, to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars, and they have been for decades. Before there was email, the scams were pulled through regular old snail mail and fax. Whatever form they've taken, the scams are called 419s, nicknamed for a section of the Nigerian Penal Code. Australian producer Susan Murphy traveled to Nigeria to try and track down a couple of email scammers. But what she discovered was a story much larger and more bustling, rollicking, and chaotic than she could have ever imagined. The purpose of the traditional Nigerian Igbo masquerade can be to frighten evildoers, to mourn the dead, to welcome a newborn baby, or just to grace a festival. A good masquerade is a great dancer with strong animal energy to inspire fear. They can freely stop the traffic, intimidate the drivers. You cannot fight a masquerade. You cannot unmask it and you have no right to say the name of the person under the mask, even if you know who it is. Once under the mask, he becomes untouchable. He is embodying a powerful spirit. Best to keep out of his way. Four one nine. The article of the Nigerian Criminal Code that deals with scams, cons, grift, fraud. Now a term that points to an entire industry that's one of Nigeria's biggest foreign exchange earners and has made the word Nigerian almost interchangeable with scam.
We're landing in Lagos, Nigeria, largest black city in the world, unofficial capital of the land of 419s. Are those burnt-out jets littering the side of the runway? And I can see small children playing in them, just yards from our jets screaming into land. Large vultures float in lazy circles over Lagos International Airport in the diesel haze that has replaced the sky. In 1950, there were just 300,000 people here in Lagos, but it's now the fastest-growing city in Africa, expected to reach 25 million and become the biggest city in the world in just six more years. Factor into this population explosion not just exceptional fertility rates, but oil. Oil was discovered in the Niger Delta one year before independence, and the oil boom of the 70s turned Nigeria into the sixth largest OPEC country and the big man of Africa for a time. But oil prices collapsed, as they do, and took the economy with it in the 80s. And if you want to understand the bottled-up energy, poverty and corruption that drives the 419 scams and periodically erupts into appalling violence along the sectarian and tribal fault lines that fracture this huge and hugely frustrated country. You have to think about oil. We walk out of customs to find our Nigerian friend, Mike Igaga, still waiting in the hot sun with his little daughter, despite the long delays inside. He's resplendent in long gold African kaftan and with no less than three mobile phones in hand. We survive an unequal skirmish with the Muslim Hausa money changers in their sheds near the airport. And then we plunge into the mad Lagos traffic. It careers along in chaotically improvised lanes that can suddenly form in any direction. And then we hit the first traffic jam, our first go slow. Inching past lines of waiting oil tankers that queue for miles, hours, days. In the front seat sits little five-year-old Igogo Egaga in her best dress and her wonderfully frilled white socks. She still holds onto the sign she held up for us at the airport. Instead of reading David and Susan, it accidentally says David Dollar Susan. She's very proud of it. Igogo means happiness, Mike tells us. We read on the plane that Nigeria was recently found to have the highest happiness quotient in the world, mainly attributed to strong family ties and unshaken cultural identity. In a broken land, understandably obsessed with the need for miracles, this may be a genuine one. Ridiculous miracles designed for greedy Westerners are the business of the 419 scammers. But miracles do good business among the powerless minions inside this country, too. Mushroom churches, as they're called, continually spring up to supply them, and mics belong to the one called the Lord's Chosen, pronounced Chosen, ever since his wife was miraculously healed. Of what we could never quite work out. 
have seen so many people who came into the choosing with very terrible problems and then the problem was rolled away. I've seen people who ran mad, who came there mad and who were who, who became normal. I've seen so many. And I, if I had not had that encounter of the healing of my wife in that church, I would argue the way you any other person argues today. You know, but because of what happened and I got there, my own personal experience, the things that I've seen from time to time happening in that place through the prayers of the pastor, in the last one and a half years, my views have changed a little bit. We'd found a place to stay on the internet, the safely dull enough sounding Bible study hostel. But Mike decides that district's far too dangerous for us. They will be kidnapped within the hour. So he deposits us instead in the so-called unique hotel, way out on the Lecky Peninsula, beyond Victoria Island. This place is grandly empty, and so brand new it still smells of mortar in the afternoon heat. Um, I was wondering about the water. Has that been fixed up? The water in our room... Not coming out. The plumbing comes off in your hand. There's only an intermittent generator for the 24-hour air conditioning that it boasts. It's me. Um, just going to check about the water. You want to come in? Ah, coming now. Do you know when the electricity will come in? We find the advertised library. It turns out to be six retired management textbooks and an airport novel stashed in one corner of the vast echoey lobby. We never do find the very impressive-sounding conference room for up to 50 persons. Unless that's the lobby itself, where it turns out the staff all sleep at night, some on lounges, the rest on kitchen chairs pulled together. We went out to find the 419ers, despite constant warnings that they would, in fact, probably be looking for us. I'd been told internet cafes filled mainly with scammers were everywhere, that we could walk in, talk to people as they scammed. Well, the reality was a little different. It's not hard to find the places. They're everywhere. Just spot the wireless tower on the rooftop. But internet connections turned out to be fragile and so slow that a website might take more than an hour just to arrive or never arrive at all. Rumour is that certain internet cafes in the Festac district make special satellite-based online time available in lockdown for the scammers at night. 13, 2009, 7.25 Father Hector Barnett to Prince Joe Ebo. Dearest, I called Summit, well, it is nice hear from you concerning Prince Okhar, issue on you helping him to clear the funds. That My dear, I am writing this email with tears and sadness and pains. I know it will come to you as a surprise since we haven't known each other. It's quite unfortunate that he was short by gunpoint. The police is investigating the If case. this proposal is acceptable by you, do not make undue advantage of the trust we have bestowed on you and your company. Which you will recommend to me as have no any idea about foreign investment. Don't forget that I have to transfer the money. I have a special account. reason why I decided to contact Please you. Please furnish me 
with your most confidential telephone and fax number. I'd like to have your full contact information, phone number, home and work, address and attached picture of yourself. And to confirm this information, that you are the person that sent money to Prince Ocar, the daughter of late General Ibrahim Bear Nananasa. We are dealing with rightful person, Gen- the late General Ibrahim Bear Mananasa. I need you to send $100 today or tomorrow through Western Union. Please, this is evidence to show me that I am working correct information. General Ibrahim Bear Mananasara. Mananasara. You know, I've always secretly admired the mangled 19th century prose style of the Nigerian scam email and the tragic but dignified characters they concoct, your best friend and mine. But now I've begun to feel for the sheer difficulty and drudgery of the Yahoo boys' working conditions. Most work for a pittance for a boss, the owner or catcher of the scam. But 419s are serious crime and seriously big business. Some have contacts in government offices to help the pieces fit together convincingly. More than one victim has arrived in Nigeria assured that they need no visa for such high-level government business. They've been waved through customs into an air-conditioned fleet of four-wheel drives. They've sealed a large deal that hands over serious money in a government office filled with official-looking people. And then gone back the next day to find no sign of life, bare rooms stripped of furniture and phones and an emptied bank account. And facing the very serious crime of having entered the country without a visa. An information website was set up to help people identify known scammers and learn how to avoid or soften the blow of falling victim. You could sign up, pay for serious 419 alerts. That site turned out to be a particularly lucrative 419. The 419ers are now becoming the prey, in turn, of a new cyber sport called 419 baiting. It's mainly good intentioned. It's to tie up the scammers for weeks on end in a game they don't realise they're playing, keeping them from other mischief. You can find hundreds of 419 scalps triumphantly displayed in the amusing online trophy rooms. From Mr. Willie Stroker to Frank Cabongo. Dear Frank, or should that be Lucas or whatever your real name is, thank you so much for sending me the $200 guarantee fee, but I'm afraid you've wasted your money. You've been lying to me, haven't you, Frank? Don't worry about it, though, because I've been lying to you as well. Your email was, of course, a very pathetic attempt at a 419 scam. As for your money, well, thank you for sending it to me so quickly. I'm not interested in keeping it. I just wanted to teach you a good lesson. Remember this feeling very well, Frank. Goodbye, Frank. William Stroker, 419 Beta. Well, well, not true, I won't talk again, you. Well, well. Not true, I won't talk again, you. Well, well. If I delay you, well, well. you could still punish me. Well, well. Well, well, you. Well, well. But you know, when you've been in Nigeria for a while, it can begin to seem like the whole country is a 419 being carried out on its people, and that's no joke. 
So much of what happens here is daylight robbery. Through the corruption that debauches everyday life at every level, from high school graduation to the highest levels of government. Unsurprisingly, perhaps, I never did find any four one-liners prepared to talk with me about their line of business. But I did find a bunch of hard-working Nigerians, John, Ola and Gibson, very willing to talk about the 419s that plague their country, damaging its name throughout the world and scaring off investment. So this is about my Nigeria. Why must my Nigeria now be involved in sending mails to make quick money? Yeah, there's a bit of 419 in almost every part of the world. But it's become so rampant and so notorious that it has brought Nigerian name into a very bad book. It, it all boils down that uh, it's the way we treat ourselves that people are treating us. Yes. They're calling us 419, yet all our resources are being managed abroad. You and I, we're working very hard to survive. Not one single one of us is being assisted by the government. There's no power. There's no water. There's no good road. Infrastructure is nothing in Nigeria. When he goes out and sees his friend making extra money, will he or she not be interested? So, lack of rule of law. That's what I'm saying. The fundamental reason is we worship money. And because of worship money, a lot of people are running to 419. Because if you do 419 twice successfully, you become a millionaire. And therefore, you have money. Everybody worship money. Not only in Africa. You go to all these advanced countries, they all worship money. The difference, and I will tell you again, the difference is that respect for humanity. In Nigeria, government does not provide. Where is the government? Where you see the water? Where's the food? Where's the house? People are getting more and more desperate. Even the Nigeria of today, there is kidnapping. Yeah, yeah. That in itself is very horrible. foreign to us. That is alien to me. Mm. Kidnapping people for ransom and they are successfully doing it. Mm. So if you continue to look at so many things happening in Nigeria, you would say to yourself, it's better there's no government so that we're just living on our own. Kidnapping set the tone pretty early, actually in what became Nigeria, the kidnapping of its people. Calabar, in Cross River State, was one of the major slave trading ports. Nearly two million souls were shipped from here to the Americas. Yet slavery, slavery as um, a system, has been all over the world. People take others as slaves, okay? So there have been slavery um, existing also in Africa, great, great chiefs, having servants. It's just a form of servitude. But there has been nothing as phenomenal as the transatlantic slave trade. Okay? Mm. They were packed like sardines. Um, their mouths locked with padlocks and, and hundreds of thousands of people were taken in these ships. And by the time they get to America, uh, maybe 70% will be dead. So the, the, the level, that level we're talking about transatlantic slave trade was a horrendous type. Otherwise, 
You go to the Incas, you go to the, every part of the world, people bought slaves, bought uh, servants from different places, and it wasn't as brutal as this. So as Professor Osam Edom implies, the 419 pattern was set early. The country itself is a kind of fantasy creation drawn up by its old colonial masters. Even the name, Nigeria, is just a passing fancy of some British governor's wife. The boundaries bear no relationship at all to tribal or religious groupings or to natural boundaries like watersheds. So bundled in together is enough firepower of irreconcilable difference to explode, just as it did in the Biafran Civil War. Biafra left more than one million people dead only seven years after independence. Colonisation by the British turned seamlessly into equally ruthless colonisation by Nigerians, the powerful few, in cahoots with foreign oil companies. Osam's friend, Erem, is a professional journalist, or was until political pressures and low wages drove him to seek other work. Well, I have completely opted out of the profession because I found out that, look, for how long would I be practicing and then you are not even having the job satisfaction in the first instance? Because if you were reporting or criticizing government, there was somebody there listening or watching. And as soon as you were through with whatever you were observing or criticizing, the next person would do what? Either arrest you for whatever reason. You see, it's like a bottled up emotion, okay? You're frustrated. You've left school for how long? You have no hope whatsoever. You get up in the morning. You keep wondering how you are going to start the day. There is no hope. You're not even sure of even a meal. So you are pushed into what? Crime. Some go berserk. Yes. Yeah. The situation is really bad here. And it's only when you travel here and you are privileged to relate with some of the families that you now see the dire need. To us, we assess the progress of a man on the basis of material acquisition. So with that, as part of what we use in assessing your standing in society, you try to do or live above your means even doing that at the peril of our society. So until we have killed that spirit of trying to, you know, live above our means, it will be difficult for us to get out of what the situation we find ourselves in now. Unlike Lagos, Calabar felt safe enough to use the Akada, the motorbike taxis that everyone gets around on. Hi, Hello. In a country white-handed by corruption, no plank of civil life can be trusted. And obscene wealth receives tight police military protection, no matter how you came by it. Police and military roadblocks are commonplace events on main roads. But even in a minor, dark lane at night, we come to a roadblock improvised by a lone policeman intent on supplementing his low wages with a bit of dash from each car and a car driver. You can't even get your own high school credentials released to you without handing over a bribe that can take years to earn, some people told us. Back-to-back -back military regimes have been now replaced by a dubious 
elected government, but life for ordinary people is just as frustrated and infuriated in minute detail every day by extreme corruption that makes no attempt to hide itself. Daily life is itself a kind of miracle in such an impossible situation. Is it any wonder for one lines have become the special art form of Nigeria? You can see them as a kind of deformed product of an amazing genius for survival. Arriving outside the hotel at 11 p.m., we find this kerosene lamp still burning at the table of the woman selling bread. Three loaves remain. Behind them, she'll sit her lonely vigil until the last one's sold. We find the sweet white bread inedible, but we buy her last loaves anyway. In such a powerless life, a miracle is needed. And in the land of 419s, there's always someone ready to supply it. Amen, 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 amen. They say if you want to get rich in Nigeria, start an NGO or a church. You see, see, you are talking about 419. What about the churches? I got a friend one day, he was driving there, all these flashy cars around it. You know what he's doing? He's not a pastor. Yeah. Where did he get this money? Now, everybody is a pastor now. To be honest with you, I've been thinking. Maybe I should go and enroll in one theological school. And become a pastor. And become a pastor. Because all this my suffering will end. Because all I have to do is get one small church now. Money go the roll, you know. Don't you know that asking Nigerians, you and I, to pay our tithe and offering is for one night. They, they use these fraudulent ways no, to exploit I'll, money I'll, from I'll you. Don't stop you there. Don't God. stop me. Don't There's stop, nowhere in the you. Bible that on they say that you one, can collect 10%. On that one, Salvation yeah, Army is all over the world. All they, of them is going in their pockets. You see, that is where you get it wrong. See, once you get it wrong from the beginning, you cannot get it right in the middle. Getting it right in the middle is very challenging in Nigeria. The Muslim North has gone as far as declaring Sharia law in several states. Meanwhile, the intensely Christian South is now seeing the rise of thousands of charismatic churches. They blend Benny Hinn-inspired Pentecostal showmanship with the much older African traditions of ritual healing that they then denounce as satanic. To Jesus Christ our Lord. You're listening to In the Land of 419s by Susan Murphy on ReSound. I'm Gwen Maxi. Susan traveled to Nigeria to find some of the people behind the email scams that clog up inboxes the world over. But she discovered that corruption in the country extends far beyond the internet cafes where the scammers hang out. What do you think of the show so far? Let us know. Send questions, comments, rants and raves, no scams, to resound at thirdcoastfestival.org. And now, back to In the Land of 419s. Amen. By the grace of Almighty Allah. Amen. Amen. Mike's church, The Lord's Chosen, is only six years old, but his pastor, Lazarus Moka, already attracts 120,000 people to the all-day service on Sundays. We watched an extraordinary amount of money going from the pockets of the poor into the hundreds of big collection bins there. I serve a God who never fails. 
I serve a God who never fails. He will never fail. He has never failed. Despite our scepticism that his church was anything more than a huge money-making scam, Mike invited us to join him at a three-day Lord's Chosen Revival meeting deep in the bush in Emo State. He promised miraculous healings of the blind, the deaf and the lame. AIDS, cancer, stroke would be overcome before our eyes. Even raisings from the dead were just a commonplace matter for his pastor. Evil spirits, marine spirits, for example, who may have been using you for a hundred years to kill people and do the devil's work, including attacking the pastor and his family, they'd be thoroughly cast out over the next three days. What's more, you're promised a better job and protection from ritualists, masquerades and every kind of 419. Unless, of course, the church itself is one. Mike tells us about a busload of children who were taken into the forest by ritualists for ritual murder, which some Nigerians believe can make you very wealthy. So the boy told the other ones that the mother attends an unusual church and that they should start praying that that God, which they call the God of choosing, will come and deliver them. And they started praying. As they were praying and they were praying, as soon as they started the prayers, the ritualists started quarreling among themselves. And they were in that state of confusion until the next day. On the next day, a lion appeared to the children in the bush. A lion with, you know, glowing eyes. You know, very bright eyes. According to the children, you cannot look at the eye of the lion. And the child told, like, this lion wants us to follow him. And the lion led them out of that forest. That's why they, they have a song. We have a lion, lion of Judah. 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 Choosing have a lion, lion of Judah. We have a lion, lion of Judah. We have a lion, lion of Judah. For three days, half a million people have been pouring into the massive grounds of a high school campus in the bush. Men, women and children. They're dressed in their Sunday best. The church wardens all wear western suits. And the women must wear skirts and cover their hair to avoid being an abomination in the eyes of Pastor Morka. I envy the magnificent headgear. Every scarf is tied in some intricate, stylish fashion that is entirely individual. My own feeble attempt to do something with a scarf just falls off all the time. They've been coming from all over Nigeria and Africa by the busload, as well as by foot, planning to camp right where they sit, in the dust. We appear to be the only two whites you are welcome, you are blessed. So good to have coloured people with us, we hear repeatedly. How do they keep their clothes so clean and stylish in the wilting heat? They'll be sitting with little or no shade from eight in the morning till six at night. No toilets are provided, just four or five water taps, as far as I can see. 
Well, good morning, Africa. Good morning, Nigeria. Good morning, Imo State. Good morning, Ngbidi. This is the Lost Season Charismatic Revival Movement. We are right here in Ngbidi, Imo State of Nigeria, where we are having a free day, Holy Ghost inspired international crusade titled The Lord Has Decided My Freedom. When we talk about freedom, we are not talking about the physical freedom. This time we're talking about the spiritual freedom. And you can imagine the physical freedom. Well, my description of Pastor Lazarus Moka is that he is not just an anointed man of God, he has been created for a particular purpose by God. And Christ speaks through him, Christ lives through him. I will compare him to people like Moses, who were given specific assignment by God. And the assignment of Moka is to deliver 10 billion souls unto salvation. An instant satellite city of tiny improvised stalls, cooking and selling food and peddling Lord's chosen paraphernalia has sprung up all around. DVDs and magazines are on offer for sale with lurid testimonies of deliverance from spirit possession and disease. And hundreds of thousands of fluorescent green aprons are selling like hotcakes, all printed with the slogan for this revival, God has decided my freedom. Extraordinary powers are attributed to these aprons. They will gradually turn everyone into walking billboards for the Lord's choosing. What about the aprons you're wearing? Does that give you protection? Yes, yes. a lot. A lot of protection. There's power in every material of the choosing. There's a power. Has anyone experienced being protected by the power? Of course. Yes. When in Lagos, where, is, where the headquarter is, if you are wearing it and there is a wrong boss, like, what I mean by a wrong boss, it's the boss of a ritualist. But when they see you wearing this, they will say, ah, this is Omar Baba Ijesha. That's what they call my pastor, Omar Baba Ijesha. They say, we are not here for you. Go, 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 go. Some of us, when you're wearing it, you go for interview in a particular firm. They will say, because you are choosing, we are giving you, maybe you apply as a cleaner, they are going to give you a position of a manager or whatever. Three overwhelmingly intense days unfold in the arena in front of the stage. Stretching out from there, as far as the eye can see, are two vast camps of men on one side and women and children on the other. They're all seated on the ground in the dust under the relentless sun between dozens and dozens of distorting loudspeakers. Down beside the stage is a tent area filled with intercessors. Young men in impeccable suits and ties, seated in neat rows with a kind of overseer strolling amongst them. These men are the powerhouse of the revival. Their job is to offer fervent prayer, non-stop, an extraordinary sight. They're gesturing feverishly, shaking, talking in tongues and rhythmic gibberish, and pulling intense faces. They alone are responsible for successfully warding off attack by the evil spirits which are drawn to the pastor's anointing like heat-seeking missiles. 
Mike spends much of the day in fervent prayer too, punching the air as he shouts. That we will bind every power, every blood sucking demon on the highway, Jesus mighty name. Every marine power, every serpentine power that is operating on this way. For this crusade, Jehovah will bind our authority, will bind our power, Jesus mighty name. We are not every, every, Choirs come and go from the big arena and the mock troops of the Lord's Chosen with their paper mache swords jokingly storm the space from time to time, singing and clapping. Dozens of long-winded miracle testimonials that all follow the same pattern and trance the crowd for hours. If I've been sitting on my testimony... So does Pastor Mwoka's gruelling two-hour sermon that lost me early, but was closely followed with much call and response and turning of Bible pages by the huge crowd. The arena is periodically flooded with men and women dragged out from the crowd to be set loose to scream, shout and flail about as spirits are driven from their bodies. It's great theatre. But the strongest theatre of all is reserved for the miracles. They carried him here like a baby this morning. But now he is totally free and he can walk. Can you walk? Papa, Papa, can you walk? Oh, God for Jesus! Good for Now, diabetes for how many years? 11 years. 11 years diabetes. You cannot walk. And I can walk. Can you, can you walk a little? Can you walk a little? Can you walk a little? The man himself seems strangely unmoved by this, but the church wardens leap in the air, clapping, and he becomes one of the dozens of trophy miracles paraded briefly across the arena for the cameras. Crutches and wheelchairs that none of the healed actually seem to have been using are waved in the air for the crowd. I command life to come upon you. I command freedom to come upon you. Those who don't quite pull off a miracle after an agonising attempt that tears your heart are just shuffled off of no further interest to the chosen. However, a good miracle will get you photographed and your story recorded, plus a chance to testify at a later meeting. This is the highest rung of the chosen ladder, short of heaven itself. For the second time today, several pallet loads of collection bags, thousands of them, go out among the vast crowd to harvest the cash. Everyone gives. Every bag comes back stuffed with naira in large and small denominations. 
any 419er would look on with envy. Above the crowd, the vultures circle, riding the late afternoon thermals. Final prayers in the setting sun. On the third and final day, when half a million people all start walking and driving away at the same moment, the choking dust it raises brings instant nightfall and makes us both sick for days. The final blessing of the Lord's choosing. Spiritual wisdom and miracles. The greatest joy that I think I have in my life is that I sought spiritual knowledge. And I can say very clearly that every situation in life brings to us spiritual wisdom. If you lost somebody, you get spiritual wisdom and spiritual insight. If you meet a madman, you have spiritual knowledge. There are so many things that happen in our lives that I would have, if I had not taken my time to attend the lost choosing the way I did, I would still argue the way any other person argues. My views are a little bit different. I've come to appreciate the fact that there is power in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man has lost his basic spiritual focus. It is a known fact that for many thousand years, Africans, we had our own traditions. This money making organizations, them come put we Africans in total confusion. Is oil itself a 419 being carried out against the planet? Nigeria's oil and the obscene corruption that it's fueled is something like a gigantic whale sunk to the bottom of the sea. Many strange things feed off its corpse secretly in the darkness. US oil barons, the military, senators, governors and big men, the 419ers, Anyone, it seems, but the vast, hard-working poor who have to pay for it. We own the oil. The thieves are the people in Abuja. Not the other way around. A thief cannot come into my house, take my property, sit down because it's strong, and then turn back to say, oh, this is the actual thief. So in such a situation, nothing gets to the people. Instead of um, the oil becoming a blessing, it now becomes a curse. We don't understand the oil concept because we don't feel the impact of the oil. We are in the oil city. They call it Portaco, the oil city. Look at the oil city. Well, the oil company is just there. 
and look at the places just behind them. No electricity, no water, just nothing. People have now grown to a situation that they do not even think that government stands for them. The corruption that pervades the whole place starts from the way the contracts are awarded for oil exploitation. It's not transparent. And then there seems to be some sort of collusion between the oil companies and those who rule power. The Niger Delta is a mirror for the world's unadulterated addiction to oil and the debauching of people and environment that follows in its wake. This was once one of the most biodiverse and fertile places in Africa. It now suffers acid rain from the excessive oil flares, spills and pipeline sabotage, destroyed fisheries and croplands, not to mention oil terrorism and the swift military payback that mainly hits the poor who must live in the line of fire. The Nigerian Navy is patrolling the Nigerian territorial waters. Where does these tankers come from? These big ships and vessels, where do they come from? The Nigerian Navy did not see them. They're so tiny. Soldiers, they come to kill. They don't want to escape us. Even my brother with his children, dead. The oil boom has turned to be oil doom. Oil boom has turned to be oil doom. What next? What can we do? Look at all these people. They are kind on me. I have no money. I have nothing. I need help. I need help. Look at my children. Nowhere to stay. So I need help. My brother, we're talking about uh, our own people. We are 419 ourselves. We're, we're fraudulent with ourselves. There's oil in Kuwait. There's oil even in Venezuela. Kuwaitis, Saudis, they don't align anybody from Holland or from Germany or from where to come and use. Nigerians allow themselves to be used by this Western expert and the money taken and part of the money shared within those at the top and at the end of the day, the common person like myself, my brothers here, my poor parents are the ones suffering. That's the problem. I think the problem in Nigeria should be blamed on Nigerians. Consider the global debauchery that's come to a head in the corruptions we have witnessed in Enron, Madoff, sales of toxic debt and of course the bailout. Take a look through the lens of 419. I go drop your dollar. I go take your money, disappear. 419 is just a day. You are the loser. I am the winner. Give us your 700 billion or lose your economy. Haven't we just seen the most successful 419 in history pulled off by the banks right in front of our eyes? We must keep our eyes busy. That's what a delighted small boy told me as we watched the soccer. Manchester United playing Liverpool in a streetside bar. Our shared addiction to oil plays out in the larceny that corrupts Nigeria, but it's just one of the canaries singing in the mine. A global 419 is in progress, and it seems to be stealing the earth itself. This is only a taste of our next release, Suffering and Smiling. 
On our last day, leaving Lagos, we come to a memorable sight. A man sits right between the grinding lanes of traffic on a stool with sun umbrella and gay tinny music playing. He appears to be naked from the waist down. He's smiling in a strangely benign way. We cannot see what the odd brown stool is that he sits on until we slowly come abreast. And his children thrust a pamphlet into the car, asking for money for the operation that he needs. Now we see that the stool is entirely hidden. It's draped with the flesh of his testicle, monstrously enlarged by elephantiasis. I wonder what kind of miracle Pastor Walker could offer him, and if he would even accept one. That testicle appears to be supporting a large family and must be far too valuable for anyone to seriously consider its removal. Every day my people day inside bus. Every day my people day inside bus. 49 sitting, 99 standing. Them go pack themselves in like sanding. Suffer, suffer for one. Jump for heaven. Go they yap, a spirit in heaven knows. Muslims go they call Allah who are bar. How many men, how many you do make? Many men, how many men, how many you do make? Many many. Put your hopes on some sort of miracle. Maybe that's gonna just happen, and before you know it, they wake up. Everything is all good. It's never gonna happen. Miracle does not just happen like that. I mean, you might get one in a lifetime, but it's not meant to be, you know? I mean, in the Western world, from what we know, people have to work daily to earn a living, to pay their bills, and the government make provisions for that. If we can have a change of mind from the top, this is our country, we've got to work together to make it a better place. If it's just a few people that are trying to do it, and majority are thinking otherwise, we won't get there. You know? I just hope that one day, the so-called miracle will really happen. And we can have a better energy. That's beautiful. In the Land of 419s was produced by Susan Murphy with sound engineer Timothy Nicastri and supervising producer Sharon Davis for the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. You're listening to ReSound from the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago. I'm Gwen Maxi. Have I ever been scammed? Hmm. Uh, not to my knowledge. <laughs> Could have been a really good one. Could have been a really good one, yes. You know what? I sure have been scammed. Like grifted? Yeah, I've been scammed, what I would consider a scam. I mean, if you want to talk about the stock market. Well, one time I bought a, uh, a 1980 Malibu. So I guess you could call Enron a scam. But, uh, like a classic car, Chevy Malibu. I my identity stolen. Kitted up real fresh. I bought a bus car. Come to find out, the frame was rusted. For $7, a seven-day. For $7. The bumper was real rusted, so by the time I got it painted and hooked up and everything. And when I went to go use it, it was already expired. So yeah, I've been scammed before. So with things like that, I avoid it. I was riding down the street, boom, 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 bumping my sound. Next thing you know, my bumper came down, fell off. Maybe, like, scam some guy into buying you a drink at the bar, maybe? 
and he thinks he's going to get your number and then he doesn't. That happens uh, more often than I, again, would like to admit. <laughs> I was like, damn, I've been scammed. You know what I'm oh, that's a total Maybe scam, not cash, man. but it's that's that's a good as cash. Yeah. Damn, what a scam. <laughs> Chances are, you, dear listener, have been scammed somewhere by someone. Don't be ashamed, we all have. But once you've been duped, hopefully you've wised up, and it never happens again. Jacob Anderson produced this story about a very elaborate con perpetrated on his friend Maria Roberts when she was studying in Tegucigalpa, Honduras. The lead-in. We were passing by, like, a taxi parking lot. There were a bunch of taxi drivers on break, and Rachel stops me. She says, look. And we look down at the ground, and there is this big wad of money, probably bigger than my fist. And so as we're kind of wondering what to do (laughs) with this, this woman comes up and swoops the money up, puts it in her shirt, and says, come with me, come with me, you know, in Spanish. And um, The setup, part one. She says, okay, la mitad para mí, la mitad para usted, y la mitad para usted. Half for me, half for you, and half for you. (laughs) And she says... El dinero en, en el suelo no es de nadie. You know, the money you find on the ground doesn't belong to anybody. And we're just like, no, we think it's, you know, belongs to a taxi driver. We think maybe we should go back, you know. But she's hurrying us along the sidewalk. And she finds a bench and has a sit down. And she says, you need to not tell anybody about this. This is just between us. We're going to, you know, and kind of like trying to get us excited about being rich. The setup, part two. And meanwhile, this tall, lanky man comes running up and he says, have you guys seen a little boy? He stole my money and he's been running by. Did you see him running by? And we're like, okay, so we found the man (laughs) that we've been thinking about. And she says, oh, no, no, we didn't see any boy and tries to get him to keep going. And then Rachel and I are like pointing to her saying, she's got your money. (laughs) You know, like we want him to get his money back and we don't want this lady to steal it. So um, he, he kind of just ignored that, which was odd in retrospect. The shakedown. So he says, I need to see your wallets. And so the lady offers up her wallet, and of course the money's in her bra, so <laughs> her wallet's pretty much empty, and he looks in it and he inspects it, gives it back to her, and then he asks Rachel for her wallet. And so she hands it to him to take a look inside and then he asked me for mine and I handed mine and he kind of just looked at them for a while and pulled the money out and you know was kind of handling it for a little bit which was odd and we're just kind of watching like what is going on right and he pulls a handkerchief out of his pocket and takes the money from both Rachel and my wallet puts it in the handkerchief and then starts tying it in knots and he ties it in one knot, and then another knot, and then and he's tying it really tight. And we're just watching, like, what is going on? And I think at that point we felt like we still had control, right? Because he was right there. We were engaged. But then suddenly the lady yells, Policia! And she and the guy are out of there. And they run away, and he takes a handkerchief all knotted up and throws it at us. 
So we've got this handkerchief with our money in it, and they're gone. And we just think, what was the point of that? The fallout. So I've got the handkerchief. We keep walking to school. (laughs) And it took me probably about 10 minutes to untie all these knots because it was really tightly tied. And so it was, we were almost to school when I finally got it undone and inside there was just a wad of crumpled up newspaper. I think about what they were thinking was going to happen. They thought we were going to take the bait because we wanted the money. But it's crazy that it worked the other way around and we still, the reason why we stayed with her was because we had this sense of justice and like we wanted to make things right. (laughs) And it's just, it's funny to me that it would have worked either way. Anatomy of a Scam by Jacob Anderson. ReSound is a production of the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago. I'm Gwen Maxi. The program is produced by Katie Mingle and curated by Johanna Zorn and Julie Shapiro of the Third Coast Festival. You can hear today's program at thirdcoastfestival.org, where you can also hear hundreds of outstanding documentaries from around the world and subscribe to our podcast. The Third Coast Festival is a nonprofit arts organization made possible with lead funding from the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation and the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. Additional support is provided by the Boeing Company Charitable Trust, the Agadino Foundation, Chicago's Navy Pier, and American Airlines. This program is partially supported by a grant from the Illinois Arts Council, a state agency. Special thanks to our many individual contributors from Chicago and around the world. The Third Coast Festival was founded in 2000 by WBEZ Chicago. If you want to contact us, we would love to hear from you. Email us at resound at thirdcoastfestival.org. Resound returns next week with more radio that you can't hear anywhere else unless you live everywhere else.